Welcome everybody. So great to see you all this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. I said to the guys in the first service, isn't it wonderful that it's a little cooler? Finally, you know, we've been declaring it and believing for it and it has finally manifested. <laughs> a little bit of cooler weather. It's been really great. Um, it's been such an incredible week of, of meetings at the conference and um, just so thankful for what God has done. And I said to the first crowd, and I just want to say it again this morning, I remember moving to the United States and planting the church and really wanting to learn and glean from some of the ministers in, in, this, in this country. And, and I found Dr. Michael Brown, you know, through books and listening to his radio show, and it didn't take me long to realize that this is someone that truly preaches the truth, that ministers with all of his heart and has a desire seeking after truth. And I wanted it. I wanted, I wanted all of it. So I began to read his books and, and began to, to see how he would point out certain things that were so important in the body of Christ. And that desire eventually led me to inviting him to come out. And God just did such a great thing. He aligned things perfectly and spoke to him, and he came to visit with us, and this is around 2018, and he's been coming pretty much every year. I think there might have been one gap during COVID, but he's been coming every year, and we're so grateful. So if I can ask you just to honor him and welcome him this morning, Dr. Michael Brown. It's our last meeting. It's been awesome. All right, meeting six of six. Last message, great to be with all of you, and uh, you have folks here become family, watch the kids grow, so uh, watch the congregation grow, and not just in number, but in, in depth, so it is wonderful to be with you. Uh, I preached an entirely different message in the first service, which I'll tell you about in a moment, so these are two separate messages. Was anybody here, aside from the worship team or Church workers, anyone here in the first service that stuck around for the second? Okay, wonderful. Excellent. Good. I won't even tell the same jokes. <laughs> I don't know if I told any jokes in the first message. And anyway, um, one very, very serious matter, though, first. We are in, in critical days of massive upheaval. There's, in the natural, a very, very real possibility for, for a world war breaking out. It would not take much for that to happen. And, and tremendous suffering right now in Israel among the Palestinian people. So that, that's an urgent matter, along with other wars and conflicts. And here in America, there's a, a massive battle for the soul of the nation. And although politics is important and political involvement is important, there's no political solution. I'll, I'll vote a certain way, and, and I prefer the policies of one party and certain candidates over others, but that's not going to save America. That's not going to transform the heart and soul of, of lost people. We're in a critical moment, and God has raised me up to be, a, to be a voice, to give prophetic insight in these times, and to help equip the body, because this is, America's going to be changed in a grassroots way. It's not going to be from the top down. It's going to be by, by moms and dads, students, individuals, older, younger, saying, hey, I'm going to stand. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to speak the truth. And, and one of our mottos is that we should have hearts of compassion, and backbones of steel. That's, that should be who we are. So we're here to equip you, and I want to make sure that you all have this free resource. I mean, talk about being in the battle on the front lines, something at your fingertips. Uh, it's our ministry app, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. So if you don't have the app, we've, we've announced it in each meeting, but if you don't have the app, you can grab your cell phone now. If you say, what's a cell phone, don't worry. All right? I said I wouldn't tell the same joke twice, but in the first service I said, if you don't know what an app is, don't worry, this is a variation, right? But uh, grab your cell phones now, seriously, because otherwise you'll forget. It's, it's too important. Everything there is free on, on the resource. Um, ask Dr. Brown, so it's one word, A-S-K-D-R Brown, second word, ministries. Go ahead and download it now. Uh, I write normally five articles a week and I've been writing article after article about what's happening in Israel, give you a biblical understanding, a cultural understanding, what's happening with the culture wars in America, how do we live this out, 
What's a kingdom perspective on politics? Every new article, as soon as it's posted on our website, you'll have it there. Uh, we do a daily radio broadcast, one hour live daily, tackling the key questions of the moment, getting into the word, answering questions from our, from our listeners. That's there. Uh, we're not on local radio here in Vero Beach. We may be at some point, but you can listen on the app anytime. You miss, miss the show, just go, go there. We've got a Jewish outreach website. We've got all kinds of other resources. I, I think we have, between videos and articles, over 6,000 free resources. So you're looking for a subject. You're, maybe something comes up at a college class, and you're, okay, does Dr. Brown ever talk about this? Search for it. You're interacting with someone on social media, and they're challenging your views, and you realize, why? Wow, I don't have an answer. I know what I believe. Let us equip you. So download that. Share it with your friends. Uh, if you enjoy it, give it a, a positive review or five stars. Just the only goal is so others will see it. That's it. And, and, and we can spread this revolution. Amen? Also on the way out, be sure to stop at the book table. Uh, we sent three totally different books. One that will spark a deep vision in you for revival and, and open your eyes to revival in a way you've never seen it before. Uh, another that deals with the difficult issues of faith and suffering and, and all the whys. It's, it's called, Has God Failed You? And then one that is perennially relevant, and as I've said, in certain ways, is my most important book, Breaking the Stronghold of Food. I said it could be my most important book because if you're dead, you can't read the other books. There you go, holding up. Uh, my life was radically transformed nine years ago when God miraculously intervened and changed me. If he could change me, I was the ultimate food wimp. If he could change me, he could change anyone. If you say, I don't need that book, you probably do. That was very tepid, very tepid response there. Okay. So the first service, in, in all the meetings, we prayed for Israel, but we haven't focused on Israel. There hasn't been a, some of the meetings we prayed for Israel, but that's, that's not been the, the major focus. This morning in the first service, I talked about why every Christian should pray for Israel and, and care about Israel's well-being. As much as we have a burden for the whole world and, and for our communities, that this is something that should be important to every Christian. So I really encourage you to listen to the message. It's on audio only. Listen to it. Take it in. It'll give you a lot more biblical foundation and help share God's heart with you. Today, in this second service, we're going to go in a totally different direction, but it's the flip side of the same coin. So please pray with me. Father, in the minutes that we have together, I pray that a spirit of faith would rise up in us, that you, God, through me would bear witness, and that we would have confidence in your promises for Israel. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond in Jesus' name. This service, I want to tell you why I know that Israel will be saved. Why I know that there will be a turning of the Jewish people en masse to the Messiah. Why I'm absolutely sure about it. We start in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter is talking about being an eyewitness to the Messiah's glory. 2 Peter chapter 1. And he says, beginning in verse 12, 2 Peter 1, 12, So I will always remind you of these things, exhorting them to continue in the Lord, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as the Lord Jesus the Messiah has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So I'm going to be dying soon. I'm going to be martyred for the faith. I know that's coming soon. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So we had 
a supernatural experience, one of many. But we had a supernatural experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We were eyewitnesses. We saw this with our own eyes. We experienced this for ourselves. And, and we know it's not some fable, not some myth. We were there on the Mount of Transfiguration when he was glorified and we heard the voice. We heard the voice of God speaking. We were there. It happened. We're not making it up. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, we had this supernatural experience, and we can bear witness to it. We saw the Son glorified. We heard the voice of the Father for ourselves. And we have the prophetic, we have the word, we have the scripture. And that's the ultimate authority, that, that what's written is sure, is certain. So go with me to Romans chapter 11. What I want to do is look at this scripture for a moment and then bear witness, and then share some of my own story, some of my own experiences to encourage you. Romans 11, when we get to the climax of three chapters about God's purposes for Israel, again, the first service, we give you more context and background for that. But he says, writing to Gentile Christians in Rome, verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles or the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So he says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. When he speaks about a mystery, he doesn't mean a mystery like a mystery novel, something you can't figure out. When he uses the word mystery, he means something that was previously hidden and is now being revealed. Something in God's plan of salvation, which is now being revealed. I remember hearing a national leading pastor say, if it was a mystery to Paul, it's a mystery to me. No, that's not what he meant. He didn't mean mystery in that way. He meant something previously hidden that's now revealed. He said, and I don't want you to be ignorant of this, lest you become conceited. Ignorance leads to arrogance. So what is actually the mystery? Well, that the hardening that has come to the people of Israel, their national rejection of the Messiah, you just think of it, people say, well, Jews don't believe in Jesus. How'd that happen? Jesus is Jewish, and he came to his own people, and they were the ones to receive him and make him known to the world. How did it happen now that you can make the generic statement, well, Jews don't believe in Jesus? And, and when I tell them I'm a Jew who believes in Jesus, they say, oh, you were a Jew. You're not anymore. I mean, it just, people just, it doesn't register for them. It doesn't register. So, so this is the mystery. The hardening is only in part. It's not on the whole nation because there's always a remnant that believes like Paul in his day or me in our day. And it's not for all time. It's going to change. So the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And in this way, or on the heels of this, and so all Israel will be saved. The Israel that is hardened will be saved. The Israel that is now rejecting will now turn. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It's not talking about the church as a whole. It's not talking about Jew and Gentile believers. It's not talking about Gentile believers being the new Israel. It's talking about Jacob. It's talking about Israel. The Israel that's now rejecting him, when he returns, there's going to be a national turning. As far as the gospel is concerned, they, who? The people of Israel. They're enemies for your sake. So they've rejected the gospel, and they may even oppose you preaching the gospel, but their rejection is for your sake. They rejected it, now it came to you. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. It doesn't matter if they got things right or wrong, just like it doesn't matter if we get things right or wrong. God still loves us. There are consequences for getting things wrong, but he still loves them. 
Well, because of his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he set his love on the people of Israel forever. As far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God has made clear that there will be a national turning. Jeremiah 31.1 says, On that day, God will be the God of all the families of Israel. There will be a national turning. Our hope and prayer is that it continues to grow and grow and grow, and more and more Jewish people by the hundreds of thousands, and then the millions come to know him until the, the final turning. But for sure, there will be a final turning. Let me share with you, let me bear witness, let me testify to some of the reasons in my own life experience that these words have been confirmed to me. If I had no such experiences, the word says it, that's enough. But boy, it's great when God gives confirmation. It's sweet when he does things. So as a brand new believer, my dad wanted me to talk to the local rabbi, which I did. So from, from out of the gate, almost 52 years now, right out of the gate, I've been interacting with my Jewish community and, and interacting with rabbis. And, and there are rabbis sometimes. We've had years, in some cases, of of interaction many times a week, sometimes talking once, once a week by phone and interacting and constantly writing materials and putting out videos or doing things to, to reach my Jewish people. So I've, I've been in this continually and helping to educate the church and, 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 and deepen our burden. But I'm now saved. It's, it's, it's the 1980s, early 1980s. I, at this point, I've never been to a Messianic Jewish service. Those were kind of new then. I didn't really know people with Jews for Jesus. So I was, I was in the church world, but doing Jewish ministry, doing Jewish outreach and things like that. And it's now 1984, and there's a, a Jewish brother that I know, become friends. He had a strong ministry at that point. And he said, Mike, I'm trying to figure something out. He said, the more I get in the spirit the less I feel connected with my Jewish roots. The more I connect with my Jewish roots, the less I feel in the spirit. Something doesn't make sense. And he said, Mike, I believe you're the one to figure this out. And, and I, said, I said to him, do you realize how massive this is? Do, do, do you realize that we're, you know, we're talking about the issues of law and grace and, and, and you know, so many questions about what Paul wrote, what he meant. I said, it's... This is a massive academic issue. It's years and years and years of, of study to figure this out. And he said, I, I really believe God's going to give you revelation, which, which he did give me some supernatural insights not long after that. Well, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing my, my doctoral dissertation at New York University in, in Near Eastern Languages and Literatures. And, uh, and I say to the Lord, all right, I you know, started teaching in a ministry school at this point. We got no money. My salary is not nearly enough to pay our, our monthly bills. Got us to supply extra every month. It was kind of the philosophy of the ministry school. If God's really calling you here, you got to be called because we're not going to pay you enough. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still finishing my, my, my grad school work. And so I say to the Lord, Lord, if you are calling me to do this, you have to finance this. And there was a five-volume German work uh, by these two scholars, Strack and Billerbeck, Commentarts of Neuen Testament aus Talmud and Midrash. It, it is the, a commentary on the New Testament based on Talmud and Midrash, based on rabbinic writings. And it had, had to be used, you know how to, had to know how to use it, you had to be able to read German also. And that was one of the languages we had to learn just because of the other things we read. But it was like a one-of-a-kind source. And I thought I could really really use it. So I've, I've never prayed a prayer like this, but it was, you know, five nice German volumes or, you know, a few hundred dollars, which then was, you know, a, a ton of money. I said, Lord, if you are really calling me to do this, then would you give me Strachan Billerbeck? Would you give me the five volumes? So I go after that. I'm, I'm at NYU doing some research in the library there. About six blocks away is Hebrew Union College, and they've got a massive library. And, and the librarian, Phil Miller, sweetheart of a guy, brilliant guy, we went to school together at a certain point, 
good, you know, so I, I asked him questions about it. He knew everything about anything with books. And so I'm in there one day talking to him. And he says, he says, Mike, he said, uh, there's a book I need. It's written in French. It is a commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes written in what's called Judeo-Arabic. It is Arabic written in Hebrew characters, and it's a particular commentary on, on this written in French. He said, I need it for my doctoral dissertation. I, I went to order it. I saw it was available used. I went to order it. They said it's already been sold. And because he knew the place, he said, who did, was it sold to? They said a guy named Michael Brown. This is a thin, thin book. It cost me $40, but it's a thin book. And I bought it because I was doing a class in Judeo-Arabic. So one time I did it and I was writing a paper, I thought, okay, I'll use this. And I read French, not as well as German, but okay, I got the book. So he said, Mike, I need that book. Well, I had no use for it. I'd used it for the paper, and I had no use for it, actually. He said, I need that book. He said, I will make a deal with you. He said, I've got an old copy of Strack Billerbeck. We had never, we had never said a word about it, never discussed it. He said, I have an old copy of Strack Billerbeck. He said, I would like to, he said, I've got to update it and get a new one, you know, because the binding is, is, is going on this. He said, I will trade you the five volumes of Strack Billerbeck, fat volumes, for this one skinny book. He said, I will make you a trade. So, I mean, I just prayed this prayer. You know, God, would you give me Strack Billerbeck? This is pretty wild. I said, you got a deal, man. I'll bring it in next time I'm here. I said, you got a deal. And, uh. He said, well, listen, the books are really heavy. He said, I'll give you a shopping bag. Take, like, one book each time, you know, when you're going home. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll take them all. <laughs> and I remember, because I had to walk a long way to the subway, then sub, subway ride, then from there get on the train. And you know the twine that you have with these bags sometimes? It almost took my fingers off. I mean, it's unbelievably heavy, but it's like I had to bring it back with me. It's a little thing, but it, it gets your attention. gets your attention. Some years after that, it's now 1991, 1991, I'm preaching at a conference in Kansas City, an Israel conference for Mike Bickle. And the opening night, the speaker, an Israeli brother, is, is talking about the dry bone. No, he's talking about the book of Ruth and how the church needs to be a, a Ruth, a young Gentile womb to, to rebirth Israel. And just a prophetic picture. It's a beautiful message. And at the end, he happened to reference his daughter, who was just born six weeks earlier. He references his daughter and, and, and talked about how she was a type and sign of Israel. Just, he referenced her. Then the, the next day, I haven't spoken yet, he brings another message about the dry bones of Ezekiel. And at the end of it, he starts talking about his daughter again turns out that people thought it was going to be a boy, and they told him it was going to be a boy. He said, if it was a boy, I'd name him Israel, but it's not. It's a girl. We're going to name her Rachel. And, and he, I remember him saying that she was born during the Gulf War, so the 91 Gulf War in Iraq, and she was born during a thunderstorm, during a terrible storm, winter storm, where they lived in, in, in Iowa. And, and he said something, it, it seemed odd to me. He said, you know, she, she's a type and sign of Israel, and she bears in her in her in her soul, the, the pain of Israel, when she gets older, she's going to need some kind of inner healing. I thought, that's, I don't even know what to do with that theologically. I just remember thinking, that, that's odd, but he's a good brother. And I just, okay, I get back to my room that night, staying at a, a friend's home, and God won't let me go to sleep. And he tells me, I've got to tell this story, which is so intimate that I would never talk about it publicly. And there are a thousand people, and I don't know the vast majority of them, this intimate story of intercession where God so burdened me to pray for my home church that he, he brought me through an experience where I thought it was my own child dying, my own daughter dying. He said, that's how you have to pray. You have to pray for the church as if it's your own child dying because that's how I feel. And he said to me, share that publicly. I said, Lord, I can't. It's too intimate. I mean, it's a whole long story. I said, I can't. He said, you need to share it publicly. And then you need to tell the people they need to pray for Israel as if it's their own child dying. Share your story, and then call them to pray for Israel as if it's their own child dying. And my message was on a baptism of tears for Israel. 
and how the church needed a broken heart for the salvation of the Jewish people. I get to the meeting that morning, and Mike says to me, something just feels weird in the atmosphere. Mike says something wild happened. He said, we can't stay. We, we got to go. He, he said, the couple woke up this morning, Reuven and Mary Lou, he from Israel, she from America. He said, they woke up there this morning, and Rachel is dead. Six weeks old. I can't explain theologically what happened. Six weeks old, she's gone. And Mike said, I don't know if you want me to make the announcement now, if you could. He said, oh, no, I'll make it. I said, I know what I'm supposed to make it. Some of you were all brokenhearted. Our hearts are bursting. When I get up to speak and I preach this message with passion and tears about a baptism of tears for Israel, and then I finish the message by telling this gut-wrenching story in my own life where God brought me to pray for my church as, as if it was my own child dying because that's how he felt. I mean, it was that real to me. I really thought it was going to happen. And then he said, no, was, I just want you to feel the pain. And then I told the people, I said, God wants us to pray for Israel as if it's our own child dying. And I said, now I have some terrible news to share. You can imagine the environment. And I shared it, and I said, let's, let's pray for Reuven and Mary Lou, and let's pray for Israel. And the whole place started wailing and screaming. I mean, you can imagine the, the shock and the weight of it. And, and it, it, it was God speaking. I mean, you talk about a message screaming and shouting to us. Pray for Israel as if it's your own child dying. And then it happens just like that. He was shouting to us the importance of this. I was there, part of it. And God's blessed the couple. They've gone on and used them and been with them and their family. Again, I can't explain theologically what happened. I just know what happened. And it was a divine exclamation point to all of us. Well, I, I started going to Korea in 1990, my first trip to Korea. And I had been teaching some Koreans at a Bible college in the States. I was in some of their prayer meetings. I thought, wow, no, nobody prays like them. They're unbelievable. They're prayer discipline and focus. And if you're ever in one of their big meetings where they've got you know, 20,000 people in a service, and, and they say, time to pray. And it could be a very structured service. Seems like maybe a Presbyterian church and time to pray. It's like the, you look around, every eye closed. Everyone focused. Pray. It could be 10 minutes. It could be three hours. Just praying and crying out. And, and then the only way you can get attention, bing, they ring a bell. Literally, it's, it's just it's a custom. Bing. And everyone hears it. It's like this truck going down a hill at like 90 miles an hour. This just, just stops. Tears, just stops. And then someone will lead in prayer and they'll, they'll agree. So I knew about this prayer tradition. So we go to, go to South Korea for the first time. Our flight was delayed. And then out of Detroit, 14-hour flight. And you get there, I think it was a 13-hour time differential. You're, you're, you're pretty tired out of it. So... Uh, get up in the early in the morning, Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown, we have to go. I said, go? I said, yeah, yeah. You wanted to visit Dr. Cho's church. This is the one time, so we're going to go there so you can sit on the service. Then you have to go back to our church to preach. So I, I preach in, in, the, in that morning, and I'm, I'm jet-lagged. I'm zonked. And uh, they say to me over lunch, Dr. Brown, Reverend Brown, what are you discerning? I said, I'm too tired to discern anything. I said, talk to me tomorrow. I'll start discerning tomorrow. So we're on the outskirts of Seoul, this, uh, this apartment. It's uh, owned by a couple. We've got some guest rooms in it. And uh, everything in Korean. I'd seen one sign in English, but everything else Korean. And uh, I'm, I'm out. I fall asleep late afternoon. Early evening, my translator, Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown, we go for dinner now. I said, man, I'm tired. Let me sleep some more. Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown. Finally. It's like 8.30. He says, we, we need to go now. It's late. I said, okay, okay. He said, where do you want to eat? And remember in those days I was food wimp. I didn't like different foods, anything I wasn't used to. But I'd seen the one sign that I'd seen that was in English. I saw the word pizza. <laughs> so I said to him, let's go to the pizza place. Well, we walk over there, and they were closing. They were closing. But the guy said to him, there's another pizza place, which we never would have found. Go here, turn here, go there, that street, you'll find it. He goes, very unusual. He, he gave me direction to another pizza place. We go there. So we walk in, and there's nobody in the joint except for two people, just two people. 
And uh, we're sitting there talking. I, I look up there, not Korean, that's for sure. And I hear him talking. I thought, I don't believe it. They're Israelis. I'm in Seoul, Korea for 24 hours, and I meet two Israelis in a pizzeria? <laughs> so I, I said to him in Hebrew, Matima Simpo, what are you doing here? They said, oh, clean pizza. We're eating pizza. This is rather the answer. We're eating pizza. I said, so I mean, my, my, my biblical Hebrew is strong. My modern Hebrew not so good. But I said to him, are, are there many Israelis here in Korea? No, 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 very few. So I'm stunned. And right then the Spirit says to me, Yes, I've raised up the Korean church to bless Korea. Yes, I've raised up the Korean church to be a blessing to the nation. But I've also raised up the Korean church to pray for the salvation of Israel. Right there. I said to my translator, you ever met an Israeli country? No, no, Dr. Brown. That whole week, everywhere I'm teaching, I said, have you ever met an Israeli country? No, Dr. Brown. Within 24 hours, I just met an Israeli couple. The end of the week, a couple comes up to me, Korean couple speaking fluent Hebrew, better than my Hebrew. Fluent Hebrew. They had a, lived in Israel, a burden for Israel. So out of those meetings, a prayer meeting for, for Israel was birthed. Well, they said, I get this invitation. Can you come back just a few months later? We have end of the year between Christmas into the new year, three and a half days of prayer and fasting. We shut in a giant gymnasium, 1,800 people, and we pray and fast. We pray and we worship. We pray, we preach, we pray, and that's it. You're just locked in this place. They had me stay in this little room. I, I mean, it's one of those, there's barely enough space for me to walk through the door. I mean, it's just smaller people, and I'm a bigger guy, and, and I remember this is tight. So, of course, I fasted the whole time, and it was a pretty intense environment. I mean, this is fast, pray, fast, preach, worship, preach, worship, pray, fast, and just, and they're all sleeping on the floor. So, I mean, these are praying people, now praying day and night and crying out. The last meeting, we feel led to begin interceding for Jewish people. And I'm talking about on their faces, wailing and crying and seeking the face of God. It was intense, intense. And I, mean, I, was, I was blown away by the burden. And in particular, we were led to pray for Russian Jews and New York City Jews, in particular. So the meetings end. I'm flying back, and I'm flying out of Kimpo International Airport on Korean Air, and basically everybody on my flight is Korean. Virtually everybody on my flight, except I look up at the airport, and there is an Orthodox Jew. You know, he's got the whole outfit, he's got a you know, beard, and I'm thinking, what did you even eat here in Korea? Where are there kosher places in Korea? You know, what? On my flight. So we begin chatting. I asked him a difficult question about a Hebrew thing. We began chatting. We have a one-hour layover in Anchorage, Alaska, and we, we have an intense conversation for an hour. And he says, just go ahead. You do the easy way. You don't have to keep all the commandments like I do. And I said, I said it's not always so easy, you know. I said, I was, I was just with, with 1,800 Koreans. I said, for, for three and a half days of prayer and fasting. I said, we were on our faces crying out for you. And I knew where he was from just intuitively. But I said, by the way, where are you from? He said, New York. He's like, God, I believe it. It's like, wow, this is crazy. First time, two Israelis. Second time, Orthodox Jewish rabbi. So now I go third trip. And on this trip, I've got with me the manuscript of my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. I'd written it, but God hadn't released me to publish it. It was about anti-Semitism and church history and God's purposes for Israel. And they said, Dr. Brown, Come with us. We have a prayer meeting for Israel. So this prayer group had, was born out of my first meeting. And about a dozen precious Koreans, one, one young lady from Malaysia, Muslim country, her village had revival. The Holy Spirit fell. The village got saved. She said, we don't know much about the Jews. We just know we love the Jews. So I remember at this prayer meeting, as they were literally scratching the carpet, they were so burdened on their faces praying for the safety of Jewish people and for those coming from Russia and other countries and praying for Israel. And I put the manuscript in the middle of the group for them to, to pray for. That's when God spoke to me. It's only tears of love that will remove the stain of blood from church history. So the end of the week, my translator says, Dr. Brown, I'm going to leave. You'll have another translator for Sunday morning. And then he says, no, actually, I'm going to stick around. Now, 
the entire trip, he was very upset. He was a university professor in the States. He knew, you know, upper crust kind of people in, 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 in Seoul. And we were staying at this miserable little hotel called the Bando Youth Hostel. Whatever you think of a youth hostel, that's what it was. And he, Dr. Brown, this is not right. You're a famous speaker. They, they, we should put you at this hotel. Sheila Hotel, best hotel. I know manager. We get 75% discount. President Bush, he stayed at You need to be at that hotel. Why they put us here, Dr. Brown? Very upset every day. Very upset. And um, I said, I don't know. Maybe it's closer to the meeting. Oh, not right. Not right. So Sunday morning, I'm, I'm in my room before the Sunday morning service. I get a call from Dr. Yu, my translator. Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown, I just met an Israelite on the elevator. I said, an Israelite? You mean like Moses, Elijah? I said, you mean an Israeli? Went, yeah, yeah, I met an Israeli. I'm an Israeli. On the, I thought, you got to be kidding me. Third trip? Are you kidding me? Another Israeli at the Bando Youth Hostel? Are you kidding me? He said, he think he may know you. So he had studied with a Dr. Brown, but I was, I was not that person. He wants to talk to you. Here's his room number. So I call him. It's still early in the morning, a time before the service. So I go see him, talking to him. And, you know, I said, these Christians here in Korea, they love the Jews. They love Israel. And as Israelis travel around the world, they're, they're not greeted. Just look at all the mass protests around the world, anti-Israel protests. They're, they're not only greeted by love. Oh, you're an Israeli? We love the Jews. That's not the norm. So I'm telling about these Korean Christians here and the whole bit, and and he says, I've got a question for you. He said, I work for a very wealthy company. Uh, based in Japan, we have offices in Japan and Israel. He said, wherever I travel around the world, I stay in the best hotels. He said, why am I in the Bando Youth Hostel? I said, it's all because of me. <laughs> and of course, my wife Nancy said, why couldn't God put both of you in the nice hotel? <laughs> But it was just, it got attention, right? He said, the CEO, he dropped me off here at Bando Youth House. Why? I said, so we could meet. So I shared the gospel with him and, and so on. We talk. And so now I preach at the service. I'm pretty pumped. I said, this is unreal. Third trip. you got to be kidding me. This is the statistics. I mean, it's impossible. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I come down from the, uh, I'm getting ready to, to, to be picked up, and here are all these Korean Christians now. They're, they're there, you know, glowing, excited. And, and he comes walking out with his luggage, with a big smile on his face. And I said, oh, I said to the Christians, this is the Israeli I told you about. They go, hallelujah, we love Israel, we love the Jews. So he's just shocked. And he said to me, the CEO called this morning to apologize. He dropped me off at the wrong hotel. So he was just there for those few hours. Like, You've got to be kidding me this is unbelievable this is god saying to me israel shall be saved israel shall be saved trip number four this time we're having an israel conference and ruvain the, the brother that had brought that message when his his baby died he's going to be speaking so i was joking with everyone i said i don't need to meet an israeli we're bringing one this time so i get there a day early i said dr brown since you're here we're we are rented the Olympic Stadium in Seoul. Every night we have two speakers, Dr. Cho, that like all the, the biggest megachurch pastors in the nation, they said, we'd like you to speak one night, and we want you to speak on Israel and why the church should pray for Israel and bless Israel. I thought this has to be the first time this ever happened in the Olympic Stadium in Seoul. And I read from the Hebrew Scriptures and preached. I thought, amazing. And then the Christians say to me, Dr. Brown, Israel, South Korea now opening embassies. We, we opening embassy in, in Tel Aviv. They have not their ambassador, but Charles Defez, they're running the show. He's here now to set things up. We have invited him to come to the meeting the last night. And I thought, he's not coming. There's no way he's going to come to a church service. I said, Dr. Brown, we are praying. I thought, he's coming. He's coming. <laughs> When they would invite me, can you come speak these days? I said, no, no way. They said, we are praying. I said, all right, put it on the calendar. <laughs> so sure enough, it's the last meeting. We only have about 300 people there, but we're fasting. Last day, we're fasting and praying. 
And if he shows up, there's a whole plan of what's going to happen. And we're going to sing in Korean. Excuse me, we're going to sing in Hebrew. Uh, a Hebrew song in the Hevena Shalom Aleichem, which is, you know, we bring you greetings. And, and, and Ruvain, the Israeli, is going to meet him at the door. So he walks in. He, sure enough, he walks in. This Israeli guy walks in. A Messianic Israeli Jew meets him at the door. Meets him at the door. And, and then, and, and this is, I've got one more short Korean story, and then two very short ones, and, and we're done. So meets him at the door. That's the first shock. He comes up. And they turn, the whole place is glowing. We've been fasting and praying. And they begin to sing to him in Hebrew. He's just devastated. He's amazed. And, and then the leader of the ministry is now going to pray in Korean. Someone's going to translate into English because he understands English. And to this day, I have never heard anyone pray with more passion and brokenness for Israel than this Korean pastor. In, in my life, to this day. I mean, incredible. And and. This guy turns to my Israeli friend and says with tears, this is the most moving, incredible thing I've ever seen. I hand him a copy of Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, which I inscribed to him in Hebrew. I write Hebrew well. Inscribed that to him in Hebrew. He leaves completely stunned. Completely stunned. And, and now I preach on why I know Israel will be saved. And I go through all the scripture and then some of the experiences that I had. And after the services, let's pray for Israel's salvation. So we fill the, fill the altars. Fill the altars. And I get on my knees with everyone. I'm standing. I'm so overwhelmed by the Spirit, I can't stand. I get on my knees. I'm so overwhelmed by the Spirit's presence, I fall on my face. And there, laying on my face, I hear God say, I'm going to save Israel. You can't do it. I'm going to do it. Okay, real quick. It's 1993. We get a call. 17, 18-year-old, ultra-Orthodox Jew. He's been coming, like, peeking in on some messianic meetings in Brooklyn. One of my friends says, I don't know if this guy's a spy, if he's real. Could you meet with him? We happen to be in New York. We meet with him. It turns out he's sincere. He, he genuinely is starting to believe. He wants to move to Maryland, be in our school. We have this big meeting with his family, a horrific, ugly, terrible meeting as he tells them he believes in Jesus. I mean, it's like saying I married Adolf Hitler to their ears. And it's horrific. And... and He's going to come back with us the next day, but his brothers tell me, hey, just willing to meet with this rabbi. Anyway, they lied to me. They kidnapped him. And now i got to leave for Korea without him. You know, we don't know where he is, what's happened to him. And so Nancy and I are heartbroken. I'm in Korea, and I'm preaching one night on Israel shall be saved. It's not my main message when I'm out, but I'm happily preaching on it. And as I have everyone proclaim at the end, Israel shall be saved, Israel shall be saved. As I have them proclaim that, I hear his name. Let's call him Yaakov. I hear the Lord saying to me, Yaakov will be saved. Yaakov will be saved. Yaakov will be saved. And God's telling me he's going to make it. I don't know where he is. I, don't know what, I didn't know at that point he was kidnapped. I didn't know any of the hell he was going to go through. I hear God telling me he's going to be saved. It's like a type and sign of the nation. Well, the trip's over, but I don't need any Israelis this trip. No Orthodox Jews, nothing. I'm, I land in Detroit, and I'm there go to my gate, and there I see a sight. It's an ultra-Orthodox Jewish man in Detroit, black coat, long beard, you know, the, the whole outfit, and I know him. I met him. He was on the planet the only ultra-Orthodox Jewish believer that I knew. He was a secret believer. He was the only ultra-Orthodox Jew that I knew on the planet who believed in Yeshua. And there he was. And it was God saying to me, Yaakov will be saved. This is the very type of person you're talking about. The one person I know on the planet, I met him there. Fast forward 25 years it took for Yaakov. 25 years. Start to come to faith, then his wife would leave him. So got kidnapped again. I mean, one horror story after another horror story. 25 years. So to 2018 when he called me with absolute assurance of salvation, this guy is on fire. He is doing amazing secret work for God, reaching these very people. It happened. When I wrote the book Resurrection, which is comparing a modern rabbi whose followers believe 
He's the Messiah, even though he died in 94. God gave me supernatural confirmation on that. I won't get into that story, but another amazing, crazy story. But a couple years back, some of our colleagues in Israel were going to launch the first ever Hebrew-speaking uh, TV show on, on cable TV on the big network in Israel that would just be for outreach. That's what it was going to be, based in the land, Hebrew-speaking. So one of my spiritual sons is at the airport. It's Super Bowl Sunday a couple years ago. He's sitting at the airport in Tel Aviv, and he asked the Lord, so Super Bowl's just ended. He's wondering, Lord, we're starting this venture. Is anyone going to watch? Is, is anyone going to watch this? As he prays the prayer, he just looks up, and who is preaching on every TV monitor in the Tel Aviv airport? Me, preaching a Jewish outreach message. As he prays the prayer, is anyone going to watch? And I, I figured out what happened is, is my friend Sid Roth bought years ago Middle East TV, which he uses for outreach, but he, he puts on family shows that Israelis would like. He gets the rights to the Super Bowl once a year just to get a larger general audience, and then in the midst of it has different Christian shows and special Jewish outreach shows. So we recorded numbers of shows. I'll speak in English with Hebrew captions, and, and it must have been that they were playing the Super Bowl and forgot to switch channels, and I came on next. I mean, it's just, and he sent me the picture. He actually sent me the video. I still have it on my phone. It's like, you got to be kidding me. And for him, it was one of the most sacred moments of his life of God saying, yes, I'm going to get an audience. Israel, all Israel will be saved. It's the ultimate battleground. Every human being is important. God loves Gentiles and Jews the same way. His heart beats for people who've never heard his name in, in isolated places of the earth. And my heart beats for them as well. But there is something in particular about God's plan with Israel as I got into this morning. It's the ultimate battleground. Many people, when they begin to intercede for Israel, get hit with a burden they've never known before. It's the ultimate battleground. And it is only going to be through the devoted prayers of God's people that these things come to pass. This is God's love. This is God's purpose. His promises to Israel will not be broken. As surely as he is God, he would keep his covenantal promises. And the hatred against Israel worldwide is demonic. It cannot be explained in any rational terms. Jews are hated when they're poor. Jews are hated when they're rich. Jews are hated when they're religious. Jews are hated when they're not religious. It is a demonic thing to wipe out the one of, of whom God says, B'ni B'chori Israel, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And it is the loving prayer and witness of Christians that will bring about the salvation and God's mercy poured out on Israel. When Zechariah 12 will be fulfilled, that he be to Eli to share the carol, the Allah, that they'll look to the one they've pierced and mourn for him. That's in our prophets, in the scriptures. So it says in Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for our transgressions. We, we thought he was just afflicted for his own sins. Then the realization of Achavarato near Palano at the cost of his wounds, there's healing for us. Kulano katson ta'inu, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. From our, from our Israelite Hebrew prophets, those words, eyes will be opened. Israel will be saved. And right now, as the world wants to destroy Israel, after the, the, the horrors of what we've seen, and, and as the aftermath of, of Israel just doing what it has to do morally and, 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 and take Hamas out of power, as it does what it needs to do to protect its people from, from onslaught and death, the world turns against Israel. It's the faithful witness of Christians that will stand out. It's the unconditional love of Christians that will stand out. And it's Christians full of faith and full of love, standing and proclaiming, Israel shall be saved. All Israel shall be saved. It is written, and it will happen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.
Amen. Can, um, can, we, can we stretch our hands out towards Dr. Brown? Father, we are so grateful for this man, for Dr. Brown, for the ministry that he has. Father, I pray that you will amplify his voice, that you will amplify his voice, Lord, not only here in the United States, but even to the nations, Lord, that you will give him supernatural favor. Father, only you know his inner thoughts, his inner heart. You know everything about him. And so I just pray for supernatural provision, supernatural protection from those that come against him and his ministry. I pray, Father, again for supernatural favor, that your favor would be upon him, that your hand would be mighty upon him. Lord, we pray and ask that you would release everything he needs to get his voice, his voice, your voice to the nations. Father, I pray that he will speak words of life, life, life to the nations, Father, life to the Israeli people, life to the American people, life to the nations. Father, we thank you for this man. We ask that you give him his strength, length of days, Father. Lord, and just once again, I just hear favor, 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 favor for you, for your ministry, Dr. Brown, supernatural favor and provision for the days that lie ahead as your dreams and your visions and the things that God has spoken to you will come to pass in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Church, we love you. Thank you guys so much for being here. Have a wonderful day. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your protection, your hand over each and every one of us. Father, be with us in this week. The great